You're listening to Death of the Reader, Flex and Herds, here for your murder mystery world tour. And we are back with the finale of Marjorie Allingham's Traitor's Purse, all the way to the end of the 21st chapter, and all the pages preceding. Herds, mm. I... <laughs> what a great time. This, this book is so good. It's, it's so fantastic. good. <laughs> it's like, it's fun. It's just a really fun time. It has some uh, rushed elements, let's say, towards the end, I think. But it, it carries itself with that sense of explosive uh, fun and whimsy. Very that, uh, Yeah, thank you. Uh, that, you know, it really sells this book. The fact that everything is, is high octane all the time. We're always stressed. We're always out of time. We're almost out of time. And then everything comes together in a, a bit of a, 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 what is it, a deus ex machina? A little, a little bit of that. I, it's like I suppose almost it's a machina X deus or a deus X egg. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we should quickly recap and also full spoilers as always for the third episode in a set. Uh, basically, what happens is that Campion continues on the run. He boards a train oh, trying to evade the police, finds himself in the rear carriage with a man who seems to sort of recognize him, but Henry not Ball. really. And then there's yes. this very weird and uncomfortable scene where they're sat in the rear cabin of this car having a like small talk conversation for just a little bit too long well, it's more like a standoff <laughs> where like because henry bull's impression is that this is some spy stuff and they're like yeah. being spied upon in the in the carriage and so he's trying not to say anything too important mm-hmm. and uh campion is trying to divert Sir Henry Bull from talking about his identity, which Henry doesn't already doesn't want to talk about because he knows he thinks that Campion is like in trouble. Yeah. And so Campion is trying to get him to talk about literally anything else. <laughs> and, Bull, and Bull's trying to like tiptoe around anything, any anything that he might say. Like, it's just ridiculous. Both characters are trying to have spy talk when they clearly don't know how to talk the talk, which is super fun. There's this brilliant moment where Campion is like. I think he's a wool merchant. What do wool merchants like to talk about? I know sheep. Let's talk about sheep. Wait, that's a terrible idea. And he like, it's great. It's a great little little scene there. And of course, the entire bit ends up being that he's not there on that train to meet Sir Henry Bull. He's on his way to meet Sir Henry Bull. But of course, he doesn't recognize him because he can't remember anything. Yeah, he doesn't know who he is until he shows up at Henry Bull's house later. And he's like, oh, you're that guy from the train. Crazy. (laughs) Wow, what a coincidence. We find out from Sir Henry Bull that uh, Minute 15 is a war loan from Her Majesty's Treasury for which Mm -hmm. Sir Henry Bull works. And... Of course, at this moment, for no particular reason whatsoever, Lee Aubrey shows up Uh, and Campion takes the opportunity to run off before he's caught yet again by the police, only to run headlong into Into the the police police, who arrest him, not for hitting a police officer, (laughs) not for killing a police officer, but for using a fake bill, a counterfeit bill to purchase the train ticket on which he met Sir Henry Bull. It's such a good moment because in his internal monologue, he's going... Wow, they're they're really uh, they're making up fake charges in order to arrest me. This is bizarre. Like I don't yeah. know what's what they're even talking about. When I think this is the moment when I was reading the novel, where I, I kind of went, "Oh yeah, this is the real story about these counterfeit bills and how they're like making their way into the story, kind of subconsciously." I do have a sticking point with this moment for the mystery section, mm, but I'll we'll get there. I'll, I'll merely foreshadow that and save it for later. That's right. Because the next bit is, of course, when we land in prison after he's been arrested, and 
I found this section so interesting because on the mm. one hand, I felt like him being in prison and unable to act went on for slightly too long. Well, it was also being used to show the two different sides of his mind, right? Exactly. Or exactly. the three, because like, they combine at the end of this sequence. That's yeah. that's like what the flow of the scene is. Is it like It's basically a metaphor for where his conscious self has been this been entire in time. Yeah, exactly. And it's very effective that it lasts for slightly too <laughs> long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just on the on the other side of the Judas window, as it were. Yeah, and it's it's so stupid, but also again really fun that the the thing that pulls him back into his previous mindset is getting slugged in the face. Yes, and he wakes up and he's back in his 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 previous state of mind, and it takes a little bit for everything to catch up because his conscious self can't remember what his unconscious self has done initially until he's exactly. like put all of the pieces together. Yeah, only to realize that the clock is yes. you know ticking very late. Yep. And he needs to get out of there, but doesn't have a way to do so because the uh, officer in charge of him, the turnkey, mm-hmm. is, uh, doesn't like him. Doesn't frankly. like him. No, yeah. no. I, I love that sequence. I I love the the use of the clock as like time is running out because, as you say, when the the previous the, the initial conscious mind takes over, he goes, "Oh well, it's okay. I go into that fight down on the docks." with my old pal Oates, and I can't have been, you know, in prison for more than 17 hours. So that leaves me with yeah. plenty of time, plenty of days before anything significant happens. <laughs> he but, looks down at his clothes and he's like, this isn't yeah. what I was and wearing. And he's like slowly putting everything together, getting more and more anxious. Like, I feel like maybe it's been longer than that, but I'm not sure. <laughs> and it takes Amanda showing up mm. at the prison for him to put everything together, which is... Perfect, yeah. of course. And then Hutch comes back. Yay, and he can't Yay, talk because he broke his jaw. I love I love <laughs> Hutch. Like, they have this entire scene, and at the end, Campion goes, Hutch, whatever is the matter? And he's like, I can't talk. You broke my jaw. Yeah, he's like writing on a piece of paper, like, you, Claude, you have ruined my <laughs> life. I'm still going to get you out of jail because it's my job, and, you know, we're best friends now. I think, I think one of my favorite things about this stretch of the novel up to here is that it's it's just so naturally fun. Like, yeah. you know, I was reading, uh, having finished the book, reading some opinions from like Dr. Mike Gross, who was like, oh, this book really falls apart at chapter 10. And I'm like- Does it though? Okay, I mean- Mike, I understand it's not a classic <laughs> mystery, but this is great. Yeah. Well, this is, this is what I was going to talk about last week, how the middle section really does go just, everybody hates Campion, everything's going wrong. He's on the run, like for reals this time, but- as soon as his two halves of his mind click together, yeah, everything f- falls into place. Everything starts coming up campion. I, I, I do kind of wonder because like for, for Mike Rost in particular, this book was sold in the United States as the sabotage murder case, mm. which makes it sound like way more of a classic mystery than it is. I suppose so. Um, and I wonder if like, you know, there's an audience of people, maybe including Mike, who like went into this book with way, way, way the wrong impression. Yeah, I wonder about that. I, I also wanted to note that the... Um I've seen a couple of different cover arts for this book, and one of them yeah. is Traitor's Purse, and it's got the the fleet of lorries on the front, which again, I think that lends itself a bit to the uh, the scale of the of the story. It gives you a bit more of an expectation of what you're getting into. Whereas if if you're expecting a focused mystery where we're like looking at the clues and pulling everything apart and looking at the suspects, yeah, and there are actually more than one suspect involved, uh, <laughs> like you you might be disappointed, I suppose. In my kind of background research on this novel, I, all I could find was Marjorie Allium 
like is barely writing detective fiction. There are mm. murders, but they are not the focus in terms of actually solving them. It's much more about the character journeys, which, you know what? I can use a character journey. I love I love that stuff. I love me some good characters. Yeah. Getting introspective. I, I'm excited for what we're covering next on the show mm. in, in that sense, but we'll get into that at the end of the program. The reason I kind of paused our recap here is because then, of course, we get into you know, unraveling the entire crime. Mm. There's like a throwaway line where Campion goes, oh, it was probably Pine. Yeah. And that's like the only wrap up we get to Anscombe's murder. It's like- yeah. It was probably, you know, a thug, probably Pine, maybe. Like, it, it doesn't really matter. We, we even learned that the the fight at the docks or whatever, like there were like 10 different gangsters there. And he, he names them all. It's like Weaver B yeah. and- the hair man, like there's all these different thugs that they apparently like went to war with. But the the key detail is is that there was someone else in this investigation injured by the same method as yes. Anscombe was killed, which is why Campion was able to recognize it so immediately. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. And it definitely like points to Pine. It it makes sense, but Pine is also not a character that matters that much. He he basically dies off screen, <laughs> which is a shame. It's also it's also like that Pine. He feels like a bit of a background character. So when everyone points at Pine and says, ah, was him. this was all his doing, you're like, no, who? Like, no, <laughs> definitely not. What are we on about? Well, the thing is, like when Pine is initially introduced, we, we have one sense of maybe he's a spy like me, thinks Campion. But also he's constantly described as being nervous and like suspiciously wandering away from conversations when Campion really wants to talk to him and like get some answers. Like mm. it's clear that he's not on the same wavelength as Campion. It is interesting because like I don't have the same experience with spy fiction as I do with mystery fiction, but from the experience I do have, like somewhat counterintuitively, the most interesting and compelling spy characters are the ones who shield the least information. Sure. Because like it it lets them not only show more to the audience, but it kind of, as you say, shows the instinct that these characters are kind of meant to have, which Pine is sorely lacking yeah. to fill that role. Yeah, for sure. I uh, I definitely agree. I mean, that's that's the. Uh, I mean, we, we talked about this with the with our previous novel. How you know, having a crime novel or, or a spy novel, you need to have the villains have a big mastermind scheme that is ridiculous and doesn't make a lot of sense because yeah, that's what yeah. makes them fun, right? You remember the eye patch wearing. Uh, white suited like guy with the big speech at the end of the spy film. You don't mm-hmm. remember the actually good spies. And in, in that respect, uh, M- Mr. Lee Aubrey does fit the the bill of a Bond villain mm. uh, quite well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's this bit, there's this bit uh, at the end of the meeting with Henry Bull where yes, Bull yes. is like, oh yeah, he's he's crazy. I don't know why well, we're working. He with says, him. He, well, he says like, he's a, he's a great thinker. He's a mastermind, but you never know whether he's about to you know save the country or do something totally yeah. evil. Like it's one or the other. You don't know until he shows his hand and it's, you know, that's, that's fun. Yeah. And, and then the last bit that we get into is of course, going in and stopping the fleet of lorries leaving yes. with counterfeit bills to, flush britain's which, economy which we're going to value. need we're going to need 30 strong men for no less possibly a tank 30 strong men or one grenade or one grenade <laughs> yes i actually i really enjoy the way that this scene is is described there are lots of examples in this last third of the novel of of, of marjelling i'm using like giving um people qualities to mm. pers- personifying things there we go uh how the the uh the, the guns spit bullets and like the train looks like a great 
big centipede with black eyes mm-hmm. and the grenade is described as someone like a like a I think like a pig in a trough like sucking everything and then spitting it back out or something yeah like it's this really horrifying disgusting image and I really love the way that she tries to make these uh weapons and industry of Britain kind of grotesque in a way mm. uh and really chaotic uh, for the for the grenade going off because it's it's not called a grenade it's called an egg it also is quite funny and very in the ethos of spy fiction that campion ends up with the highest body count in the story in the yeah. second last chapter yeah good on him honestly uh <laughs> he deserves it yeah it's it's kind of hand wave too he's like oh good i stopped the the plan, but like all these people are dead. Dude. Yeah, it's like horrifying. Like- these trucks are all aflame. <laughs> yeah. They're like motor oil is burning, and all of the ladders out of the pit that they're kept in have burned away. So there's yeah. people like clawing at the. It's mm-hmm. like people are burning alive in that it's in that trough. So grotesque. Yeah, like it's described in a, in a grotesque but not necessarily horrifying way. But if you think about it, it's brief. I think is the key thing. Yeah, exactly. If you think about it, like there's like a couple dozen people just dying dead dying screaming for their mothers like it is it is not pretty in there grenades do not always kill quickly it is yeah it's, it's great it's a great last sequence shout out to <laughs> albert campion shout out to albert, Cam- albert campion the true psychopath of this story I, I thought what he was gonna do was like steal one of the lorries and like oh. jackknife it in the entrance way yeah and to not let any of them get out that would have been the clean solution but we don't do clean solutions here it's true it's true <laughs> This is not the Allingham way. Yeah, because they spent so much time as he was going in there, like describing the trucks and mm. how not all of them were occupied as they were like still making preparations. I was like, oh, he's going to jump in the cab. Yeah. But no, egg. <laughs> egg. Which, by the way, was foreshadowed by the weapons testing facility that we encountered in our previous discussion. Yeah, it was great. Now, I uh, I was wondering if you might say something about that in the, in the previous discussion, just because we literally have a scientist be like, this is... The greatest explosion you have ever seen in your life. Definitely don't use it later in I the think, story. Like, I think if I'd been further along with my reasoning in terms of like it being about money rather than resources, sure. I might have pinged onto that earlier, but that but was pointing me at resources. It's, it's basically, if we're talking about spy spy films again, it's basically the, the Q scene mm-hmm. where he's like, it may look like an ordinary egg, but actually <laughs> it could destroy an entire block. That's it's pretty great. Anyhow. I suppose uh, we should wrap this up here and head over and talk about the mystery? Yeah, the whole mystery that existed. (laughs) We're discussing Trader's Purse by Marjorie Allingham. More to come in just a sec here on your Murder Mystery World Tour. Stick around. You're on 2SER 107.3. You're listening to Death of the Reader, Flex and Herds here for your Murder Mystery World Tour, discussing Traitor's Purse by Marjorie Allingham. I have reached the end of solving this novel, and Herds, it is time for my post-mortem. I'd love to know how the points will fall, because I think I did a pretty solid job in broad strokes, but there are a lot of specifics that I missed yeah i mean i mean look let me let me put it this way i think you did a really good job i mean obviously aubrey was the kill like the villain not even the killer but like the villain mm-hmm. he does too much monologuing and has too deep a voice to be anything else um so that's that's fine you pose two different theories more more or less over the over the two weeks um so that's fine you get a point for that i think that 
you did a really good job of, of highlighting not just that it was about money, but that was about like devaluing the British currency. That was definitely like, that's the core scheme of what Aubrey is trying to do. He's trying to do it so that he can install himself as a, according to the Wikipedia page, a technocratic dictator, (laughs) which I love the phrase of that, um, which you didn't like 100% align on. However, however, you did pick up on the fact that uh, Stanislaus Oates was the person who was being like watched for maybe killing a cop in the opening part of the, like the hospital sequence. Um, you did mention that. So I think, um, that said your minute 15 talk was, was garbage. I, I mean, listen, I I had, I had, which (laughs) minute 15 was what I described. I just thought that it was Aubrey's creation and not the British government. I, I, I think you're going to walk away with, uh, with three points for this one. I'm happy with that. I'm happy with that. Especially considering that I named the wrong culprit for Anscombe's murder. I think three points is very respectable. You you say that like the murder actually matters at all. Exactly. Um, Exactly. Like it's not about the initial murder at all. That's more of a like, you know, this is the one lead you had and now it's gone. Now solve the actual mystery. It is, it is still Aubrey's scheme that got Anscombe killed, I suppose. No, that's fine. I mean, look, you picked Aubrey as the mastermind. That's that's fine. I'm I'm pretty happy with that. So yeah, yeah. you get the three points. Minute fifteen is admittedly quite a tricky thing to kind of puzzle out. I guess there's not a lot of clues to say directly that like this is a government thing to create. Like it's it's a war loan, you know. Yeah, they don't. What was say the, the alternate title loan. that Bull mentioned? It's like Victory Fifty or something, yeah, and they're like, 50. oh, that's a bit too on the nose. We had to change the name. Yeah. Which is ridiculous. I did. I did have a sticking point, as I mentioned, though, Uh-oh. which is that yeah, yeah. when a campion gets arrested, he's arrested for using a counterfeit bill. Is. by the police and the turnkey. Then, yeah. like less than a chapter later, they go into great length about all of the ways that you would have to like boil down the currency to its bare components to be able to tell the difference. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe the particular note that campion grabbed was like not as well counterfeited as the others. Like I, yeah, yeah, it was, it was a dud. I, I presume that like he stole it from wherever it was being manufactured. Yeah. 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 Uh, and thus it wasn't like quite through dirtying or whatever, but it, it did feel a bit cheap having those two details about the counterfeiting kind of back to back. It was from the, the bag that he'd left with luck, right? That's where he yes, got, yeah. that is correct. Cause Lug had given him the money, not realizing that it was counterfeit. Yeah, Cause yeah, there, there are quite a few different bags of money running around, which are all counterfeit it's, it's bizarre really but yeah no i i do agree with you it is a little weird but it is also a, a really fun moment for people who've been paying attention because like the whole story was about money the whole time yeah it's about the distinction between like physical money and wealth and like the scheme as a whole which is something that aubrey is obsessed with um and i really i mean on, on my end like i really love how campion is like the one man who could solve everything and Lee Aubrey is also like things of himself as the one man who can solve everything, but obviously yeah. he's wrong. Like I love that as a theme. Well, I think I think that's kind of what I wanted to talk about is because obviously, like, we can't really break this novel down by fair play. It just <laughs> not really. It doesn't fit the rules by most applications of them. Mm. But it is really interesting in the way that you still can get ahead of it, as evidenced by my attempt and almost success at kind of unraveling it. Ah, you, yeah. But also that like the thematic content in that sense where there's so many different parallels like you know him being in prison compared to him not being able to access his conscious mind Mm -hmm. aubrey and campion being like two different sides of the same coin 
there's there's so many useful narrative devices that really let you get a grasp on this story through unsaid direction, which is like so critical to dragging a thriller mystery through its paces. And let's not forget the most important character, Mrs. Erickson, who is the coin, the other <laughs> side of the coin to Miss Amanda, to Lady Amanda even. Let's who, not is, forget. who is Miss Erickson? Miss there's Erickson. A, there's a line at the end of the book where they say, so, oh, Miss Erickson, she batted after all. And I'm like, did yeah. she? Mrs. What, Erickson. What did she do? Mrs. Erickson, apparently, according to the Wikipedia page, is in charge of a group of women doing voluntary work. I believe she worked at the post office, question mark. And she was helping to, like, get official seals on the, on the money that's being distributed. But they established at the end of the book that they didn't need to do that because the government was going to hand wave it anyway you in know, the I, announcement I of Minute 15. I'll be, totally, I'll be totally honest, I completely forget. Because I just know that she is introduced as the character who's kind of into Lee Aubrey. And the real reason she matters is because then Amanda could say, I actually knew that Lee Aubrey was a big old nerd all along because he keeps flirting with people, even though we're supposed to be getting married. Now, this and is you a mystery campion, I was you, confused about. You, you campion would never do this to me. What do you mean? Why are you confused? I, I'm honestly surprised you didn't put points on this because to my mind, I thought by about two thirds of the way through the book that Amanda doting on Lee Aubrey ah. was part of the plot that Campion had set up and he had forgotten about it. But then at the end of the book, she's like, oh gosh, I'm so embarrassed that I ever thought that. And I'm like, wait, what? I'll be honest, I'm surprised <laughs> that hasn't like crossed my mind uh, up until this point. I'm glad that you had this thought in- instead of me. I think it's just because I trust Amanda and I think that her and Campion would would never do such duplicitous nonsense. It's, Look, I'm just saying. It's just so weird because she's portrayed <laughs> as like such a competent yeah. character. She is Campion's like one of Campion's biggest ally, much to the chagrin of Lug. But yet, like she's still this like young girl who's like, oh, the pretty man with the deep voice. Yeah, and he's <laughs> always like- money and. Look, he's a master of bridge. He's pretty cool, you know. Like, what is <laughs> what is this trash? You know what? I I will I will agree with you. All, all all nonsense aside, it is a bit strange that you know we're kind of throwing Amanda under the bus so that Campion can have his character developments. Yeah, that is definitely a problem with the way that Amanda is kind of portrayed in this film. Even though she is like by and large intelligent and competent yeah. and and great, and she like saves him at the end. She gets hot. She like saves him from the from the prison and, and gets everything lined up at the end. But you are, you are 100% correct in that. Like, I don't know why she fell for Lee Aubrey, honestly, in the first place. It's no. clearly uh, uh, the vapors, I think is what it was. Mm-hmm. I think that's the only explanation. It's just such a bad trope. I just like, I was so on board for her character until like the last scene. And I'm like, you are kidding me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think, I think the other thing that's really interesting is that like, as we've discussed the whole way through this novel, the amnesia, like trope i don't know how prevalent the trope was when this novel came out mm. but it definitely has become a trope in the years since whether or not this was the I, origin point i hope not and i thought it was so fascinating the way that compared to so many other applications of the amnesia trope where it's used to obfuscate things allingham kind of leaned harder on using it as an opportunity to teach you things it's a really useful opportunity for marjorie allingham to come in and say like all right what is this character's motivation what are their concerns and how can i show that to you by campion being as upended as you would have been if you had just arrived in this situation it's like a 
a really thoughtful application of the the amnesia narrative device. Yeah. Well, part of the the, the narrative, I guess, with with Amanda is he kind of realizes that he's kind of taken the fact that they'd be married for granted. Yeah. Even when when he's re, you know regaining his senses, he 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 has this feeling that there's been some terrible blow to his confidence. Mm. Like clearly he had expected ever since she was 17 and he was 24 or whatever, that they would be married, that Amanda and Campion were together in wedlock, mm-hmm. you know, from that moment. But this story is kind of a way for, for Allingham to say, you know, that was never guaranteed. Amanda is capable of like, loving other people and, and you know, it is not guaranteed that these two characters will end up together. But through the course of this story, Campion, he almost like rediscovers like why he wants to be with Amanda. I, I really enjoy the way that we use amnesia to like, to rediscover that. And this is definitely not the only story, as you say, that that does that romance thing where like, oh, I like, I have no idea who... There's a Simpsons episode about this. Oh my goodness. Where like Marge loses her memory and she remembers everyone in the family except for Homer. And she's like, I wish I'd never married you because you seem like an awful human being. But of course, by the end of the story, it's it's flipped around. Mm-hmm. It's a very it's a very common common sort of trope, I suppose, with like amnesiac lovers to rediscover that that love by the end of the story. I think I think the thing I was most excited about by its application, just in a broad sense, is that Despite it being such a trope, I wasn't exhausted to see it here. Despite being, you know, nearly 80 years old, this book, like, didn't feel like it was just rehashing something I'd seen a dozen times before. It didn't make it feel like the versions of it I'd seen more recently were better. I agree. I And and to to your uh, point there, like, I don't feel like this novel is like an old novel like obviously it's it's set d- during the the war like yeah. you know it's it's got the time period but i think that it has a really good like i if you had told me it was written like in the last 10 years i'd 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 probably believe you <laughs> like without doing some research yeah um i think also the way that allingham uses except, like it, uh, hold, except for a few just odd words you well, know well yeah there are some odd like, words but trans transpontine yeah well no those are just <laughs> those are just quirky words that some historian has thrown in there also i, I, sh- I should have styed oh my goodness can we just yeah. mention how the amazing of, that bit the is use of reconnoitering oh instead of on reconnaissance no Beautiful. i love that i love that that just it just gives it uh it gives it quality you know but no, I I really I really enjoyed how kind of timeless this novel felt, and also like how weirdly patriotic how weirdly patriotic it got, um, with like all the masters of bridge. They're like, yes, the most important thing is the country, and we believe in her wholeheartedly, and it is the faith that the people have in Britain that will save us from from barbarism. I loved that, like. It's fantastic to just read. I suppose, though, we should uh, wrap this discussion here, Herds, and it's time to announce the next book on the yeah. show. Now, now, Flex, I have, to, I have to say I am very excited for whatever book you have to pitch to us, but unfortunately I, I won't be a part of it. I will, ha- I will not have the. You will not have the? Because... No, because I don't know if you know the this. The book Flex. doesn't have the in the no, title, well, just for good. the record. That's great. I'm glad it doesn't have the, because I am currently uh, standing in the airport terminal with my luggage. Right now, I'm, this very yes, second? Yes, I'm sorry. I've lied to you. I know you think I'm in the in the studio with you, oh, but I'm actually in the airport. I'm holding my <laughs> luggage. I've got, I've got it all checked out. 
Um, I'm wearing my big Hawaiian t-shirt and a little straw hat, and I'm I'm heading <laughs> off. off to Antarctica. I'm heading off to Antarctica <laughs> for a holiday. <laughs> so I'm going to be out, mm-hmm. which is exciting. And I hope that you survive without me. But, I don't think uh, I will. I, I would love to know. I would love to know what you're going to be doing in my absence. I, I'm sorry to yeah, well, thrust this upon you all. In preparation for your absence, I've picked a book that won't take us too far off the track for the Murder Mystery World Tour. It was very hard to pick a book that was like interesting but not too far off the track because there were like a whole bunch of books related to Marjorie Allingham that were like foundational to the genre. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I can't really do this without her. But what I wanted to continue with is actually another Albert Campion novel, Marjorie Allingham. Yeah. Cargo of Eagles. Cargo of Eagles. Completed posthumously by her husband, uh, who did a lot of the cover art for Albert Campion novels over his life. But this was his first full length novel uh, in collaboration with his late wife. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see like how that series kind of resolved. Yeah. So it's going to be chapters one to eight. I'm going to be joined by friend of the show, Lachlan Accord, the quiz master himself and uh, challenge him to solve that book. Lachlan, you better do me proud. I know you'll be, you'll be fighting for the UA team on this one, but I, my heart is with you. You better, you better solve this. I mean, listen, Hertz, would you like to steal the away team's oh. points from your representatives in absence? I mean, I do. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm going to fall behind. So, <laughs> you know what, Lachlan? Executive decision. I'm stealing your points. You better earn some for me. That's your job while I'm away. If he gets any <laughs> negative points, I'll still give them to the away team. Okay? okay, good, good, good. That's what I like to hear. Either way, this has been... Trader's Purse by Marjorie Allingham to be followed by Cargo of Eagles also by Marjorie Allingham and we will see you with that next week on the show Herds all the best in Uh, Antarctica yeah yeah oh that's my flight coming up I gotta I gotta get going the penguins are calling the penguins are calling the penguins are calling this is your murder mystery world tour here on 2SER 107.3 bon voyage and I'll see you in the next Death of the Reader